cute kids, aren't they? Uh, can, we, can we thank our panel of experts and all their parents who helped us uh, <laughs> do the interviewing? Yeah, uh, welcome again to our series, Making Rainbows. Uh, now, Monday night, I got a text from a friend letting me know that right at that moment, there was a rainbow in the sky right here in Ellisville. Um, but I didn't have my phone with me, so I didn't get to see this text until later. You can kind of see it's pretty faint here in this picture. Um, I didn't see this until later, and, and so when I responded, my friend let me know that it wasn't just a rainbow, it was actually a double rainbow in the sky. I think I have a close-up of this here. You see the double rainbow right there in the sky over Ellisville, and I missed it which settled it for me forever after. I'm never letting my phone out of my hand again. Never again, I'm I'm just keeping it there. Um, Actually, throughout this series, I've really enjoyed how many times someone has sent me a picture, text, or email of a rainbow that they've spotted in the sky. It is the season for it, but I really love how much people are taking this series to heart and, and seeing those rainbows and smiling, remembering God's promises over us. But it has been a kind of underlying thesis of this entire series that in order to see the beauty and the promise of a rainbow, first, you have to experience a storm. Now, storms, they have polarizing effects on people, don't they? Uh, Some people, when it comes to a storm, um, they, they love storms. They drive right into the heart of a storm. Uh, There are people who do this. They they see a tornado coming, and they drive toward it. That's how storms affect some people. And in life, it's true. I I bet there are some of you here today, listening to my words today, who, who, when a storm comes in life, that's your reaction. You love storms. You immediately move toward the storms. And that's probably because at some point in your life, there was a, a lot of turmoil, some formative moment. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of chaos, and you came to see that as normal. And so when life is too tame or ordinary, you see that as abnormal. So you go around looking for storms. You chase storms in your life. And when you can't find a storm, you'll make one. I know I'm speaking to some people listening to this today. For some of us, we love life's storms. We, we are attracted to them. People may say that chaos, chaos follows us wherever we go, but the reality is we're following chaos. And while there's some of us who love storms, there's some of us who are terrified of storms. Who, not just when we see a, a rain cloud in the sky, but when we see any fluffy cloud in the sky, we're not taking any chances. We're going to duck and cover. You know what this is here? Take a guess. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fallout shelter, bomb shelter, storm shelter. This is someone who plans on spending a lot of time here, right? I mean, they decked this thing out. It's kind of like, hey, what are you doing Friday? Want to come and hang out? I mean, this is, this is someone who's gotten comfortable with the idea of whenever they see something threatening, let's go to the shelter and let's make sure it's really, really comfortable. And and again, probably at some formative point in our lives, for those of us who react this way to storms in life, we came to believe that storms were threatening and dangerous, that we weren't able, that we'd be overcome or overrun, and so we've learned to take shelter. Now here's what's amazing to me, we have all seen first-hand evidence of what storms can do. You think about Hurricane Katrina and what it did to New Orleans. I mean, just decimated a city or, or up close. I mean, you see these houses and then up close, you're like, oh my goodness, can you imagine? 
Or you think in our own state, not, only, not even a decade ago, but Joplin, that tornado that ripped through Joplin and, and just did so much damage. We've all seen what storms can do. And yet it remains that they have this very polarizing effect on us. Some of us, we, we see what they do and we still love them, we pursue them. And there are some of us who, who hide in fear. But regardless of how we react to storms in our life, here's the truth. Storms are necessary. Yeah, they may be terrifying, they may be threatening. Yes, all those things can be true. But there are good things that come only through storms. They don't come to us any other way. And so we all need to learn how to brave the storms that we might face in life. And that's what we're gonna do today. That's what we're gonna talk about today, braving the storms. To do so, we're gonna look at Ecclesiastes chapter seven. This is the book that we're studying throughout this series, a book of both hope and despair, all mixed into one, written by a very wealthy, wise king whom we, to believe, uh, whom we believe to be, King Solomon, Ecclesiastes seven. He says, a good name is better than fine perfume. You know, your reputation matters. And then he says this, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Now, throughout Ecclesiastes, you'll kind of hear words and you'll be like, man, this, this guy is manic or he's bipolar. Or, I mean, he's one day last week saying, you know, life is good and seize the day and enjoy life while you can. And then this week he says, you know, the day of death better than the day of birth. Now, uh, some people have written him off as just a depressive figure. Don't listen to that guy. But we actually believe there's, there's something deeper here. There's something important. He's saying, don't write them off. Hear them out. He says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. So again, you know, last week we said, hey, enjoy your moment in the sun, and you have a moral imperative, a moral obligation to enjoy life when it's good, and, and now we're hearing that a sad face is better, that frustration's better, a house of mourning's better than a house of feasting, really? Yeah, and here's why. Because the heart of the wise is found in the house of mourning. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the fire pot, under the pot, the kettle, you know, in the old way. So is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. See, see why? Why is frustration mourning better? Well, well, the teacher begins to tell us something that we already know. That in life, hard times tend to teach us more than good times. And yet, there's a place for happy times. Happy times, they restore us, they, they renew us, they teach us about the love and the favor of God. That's all true. But we all know that if you live too many days, happy days in a row, sunny days in a row, that those things can make you kind of soft. They can make you weak. We, we tend to be formed during times of hardship. And yet, even though there's this reality of, of both times being necessary in our lives, the truth is that if we have any control, if we have any say in all of it, we are going to gravitate again and again toward the happy times. But Solomon says that's not wise for us to do. That happiness, uh, folly, 
pleasure, that, those, day, those days don't last. They burn up like kindling under the fire pot. It's not wise for us to only pursue happy times. Uh, and then a few verses later, he says this. He says, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked, right? I mean, if God puts you through hard times or your path is windy and twisty, like who can argue with that? It's God that you're fighting against. And so he says, when times are good, okay, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Uh, what he's saying here is, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a good person who's filled with faith and you love God. You can't live life with an expectation that because you love God and God loves you, that only happy times are ahead for you. We can't know what tomorrow holds. Even as people who love God and are loved by a, a very good God, we, we can't know what tomorrow holds. We can't know our future, whether tomorrow will be a day of sunshine or a day of storms. But here's what we can know, that there are good things that come to us that only come to us through storms. And so we have to learn how to brave the storms. And through braving the storms, we get good things that we can't get from anything else. Uh, one of those things is by braving the storms, uh, that reveals our vulnerabilities. Now, about 100 years ago or, or so, um, designers, architects started building massive buildings in cities, skyscrapers, and, and there became this, this whole thing to try to design more interesting buildings. But they realized something, that before you build a giant, interesting, innovative building in the middle of a crowded downtown area and spend millions of dollars doing it, it's good first to build a scale model and to test it in a wind tunnel. Right? It's good to test your design to see what the vulnerabilities or weaknesses of the design might be before you just go start building it in downtown New York or Hong Kong or, or some other place. See, it's good to know your vulnerabilities in advance. And in the storms of life, that's one of the things that we get to see. We get to see our own vulnerabilities. We get to see our own weak spots. We get to see our own sinful tendencies come out. And if we're attentive, if we notice them, we'll see these things emerging before they cause greater damage to us or to people around us. The storms in life help us see our vulnerabilities because ugly things come out of us in the storms, don't they? I remember it wasn't too long into my adult life where thanks to storms that I encountered in life, I started to see something about myself that I didn't know. I started to see that I have an anger problem. And growing up, I was a pretty compliant kid. I was a peacemaker. There were people who had anger, more overt anger in my household. I was not one of them. And, and so it was easy for me to believe that I did not have an anger problem. But, but here's what I started to notice, that every time life got really stressful or scary, this volcano of anger would erupt out of me. Now for some of you, maybe it's not anger. Maybe for some of you it's numbing tendency to numb yourself or it's blaming or it's disappearing, isolating. See, there are things that happen to us when we're in storms and, and the temptation can be like we just label those as stress responses. Oh, that's just what I do when I'm stressed. That's, that's not really me. But the truth is the storm doesn't cause those reactions. 
The storms in life only reveal those reactions. The storms reveal those tendencies that are already inside of you. Remember what storms do and, and why it's so important for us to brave storms is because these storms reveal these vulnerabilities in our design. They reveal these weak spots, these sinful tendencies in us. And it's good for us to notice those things, to see those things in advance, not to dismiss them as just, oh, no, 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 that's just what happens. No, 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 those are, those are actually things that are being revealed to you that if you do not pay attention to them, over time will create greater problems for you and the people around you. God in his mercy puts us in the middle of storms so that we can see the truth about ourselves and so that we can bring those things to God. We can receive healing and help. We can find counsel in some other ways. We can begin to grow. But if it weren't for the storms, we'd never know those vulnerabilities were there. Secondly, braving the storms spurs growth. Right, once your vulnerabilities are exposed, then uh, you have an opportunity for growth. Now, uh, think about the human body for a minute. The human body, really the human being, not just the body, but our whole being, is built around efficiency. You know that. That you don't get to keep what you don't use. So whether that's you know, keeping your brain power as you get older doing puzzles and stuff that helps you do that, or whether that's referring to us physically, every middle-aged guy knows that you don't get to keep, as a parting gift of your 20s, you don't get to keep your abs for the rest of life. Right? What you don't use, you lose. The body's built on efficiency. It's not going to keep that if you don't need it. And you also know this, you also know this, that the way the body grows is through strain or stress. You stress your muscles and, and muscle fibers, they tear down, and then your body sends healing resources to repair, but then your body says this, oh, it looks like we're using these things again. <laughs> Let's not just heal them, let's make them a little stronger so this doesn't happen again. And so the way you make your muscles stronger is you do this process over and over again of tearing them down and the body makes them a little stronger, a little stronger, a little stronger, right? Your body grows through stress, your body grows through strain. And that's not just true of our bodies, that's true of our whole beings. It's through times of stress and strain that we grow. That's why formation doesn't happen in the house of pleasure. That's what Solomon said. The house of pleasure serves another point. It's, it's another part of life. But formation doesn't happen in the house of pleasure. It happens in the house of mourning, in hardship. Those are the places where we're stretched and then we grow. I think James puts it really well in the New Testament. He says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, storms of many kinds. Because you know, when you're in the middle of those things, you know in advance what it's going to mean. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if you could flip this around, what James is saying is, without trials of many kinds, without storms in life, you can count on the fact that you will be immature and incomplete, lacking quite a lot. See, the storms in life, and by braving the storms, that spurs growth in our life. Third, braving the storms teaches reliance. You know, every time there's a, there's a big storm, a big natural disaster, like, like Katrina or the Joplin tornado or any of the ones that happened, Hurricane Maria, people of faith, and, and even people who don't have faith, often ask a similar question. We say, God, why would you allow this to happen? And while I can't know the mind of God, 
here's something I've observed. That one of the good things God does out of these moments where, where you know, major storms just decimate entire areas, one of the good things that happens is that people, communities, band together. You know, we tend to live with this, this belief that we can exist on our own, that we can survive on our own, but self-reliance, it is a myth, it is a lie, it is a mirage, and yet we buy into it, and it's, it's like this, this big, nasty bear trap we keep stepping into over and over again in our modern world. We keep believing that we can do life on our own, and so we try, and so we, we move away from family, we move away from support structures. We move into new neighborhoods. We don't get to know our neighbors. We maybe join a church. We don't get to know anyone in the church. I mean, just even here at Pathfinder over the last 10 years, it's been amazing to watch as our small group participation, our life group participation has been on the decline. I don't believe we need anybody. We can make it on our own. And, and not just nuclear families of 60, 70 years ago, but more people really trying to do life on their own, completely on their own. And, and I think one of the things that's got me most concerned about this whole uh, COVID pandemic is first, I mean, the thing that makes it unnatural is that it's this, this big storm across our world. And, and for the first time, we're not allowed to band together. We're not allowed to come out and support each other. We have to keep our distance. And that's a special kind of evil, I believe, that prevents us from coming together. But not only that, my, my fear, my concern is that life post-COVID will only accelerate our desire to live in isolation. It will further this myth of self-reliance. See, but when storms come in life, and this is what we realize every time there's a big natural disaster, you realize that you are not equipped to handle life's challenges on your own. And it drives you to rely on other people. It drives you even to rely on God himself. See, here's an unflattering truth about all of us right now. The unflattering truth is, I don't think there would be many of us listening to these words right now. I don't think many of us would ever discover a relationship with God if it weren't for hardship, if we weren't driven there by moments of hardship. I mean, how many first-time prayers have been offered in foxholes over the course of humanity? And for those of you who don't know what a foxhole is, how many of us have been driven to God, call upon the name of God because of a moment of, of terror when we were in over our heads. It's, it's one of the first steps in the 12-step programs, maybe the first step that, that I've got to realize, acknowledge that, I, man, I'm, I'm unmanageable. My life is unmanageable. I can't do this on my own. I have to submit to someone stronger. I've got to learn to rely on a power greater than my own. And, and of course, God is more than an emergency contact. He's a God who wants to, to walk with us and love us. He wants to be a companion for us. He wants, he wants to live life with us and invite us to live life with him under his blessing and favor. That's all true. But here's what is also true, that few of us would ever discover all those other things that God wants to bring to us if it weren't for moments of hardship. The place where so many of us meet God for the first time is in the middle of life's storms where we realize we can no longer rely on ourselves, that we are in over our heads. And there, in those moments, we discover all the other things that God can bring. The wisdom, the direction, the companionship, the love, the grace, the forgiveness, all the things that God can bring. 
We discover first, though, through the window of hardship. We learn reliance there when we brave the storms. Uh, Braving the storms forth, it gives you character. And I mean this in the Romans 5 kind of way where, where Paul says, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, right? Character, hope, hope doesn't put us to shame. But I also mean this in another way. I, I mean this in the, hey, cool scar kind of way. You know what I mean? Like, like someone who's got a cool scar and you're like, whoa, what's that about? And suddenly they're interesting or they're unique or that scar tells a story and you want to know that story. See, braving the storms, it, it produces character. Now, here, here's what I've discovered um, of just about the natural world. We've talked a lot, a lot about the natural world today, even in our songs and how that testifies to the glory of God. Here's what I've discovered just traveling around the world, that some of the most beautiful places in the world have been formed not by God's original creative hand, but they've been formed through storms. A few years ago, I got a chance to go to Zion National Park. Anyone been there? Zion National Park is beautiful. I hadn't even heard of it until a few years ago in uh, southern Utah. And uh, I, I went there to do some hiking, and I entered a lottery to be able to hike a really exclusive route called the subway. Anyone heard of the subway? Um, it's called the Subway. It's, it's amazing. It's a slot canyon because it's kind of carved out to look like a train tunnel. But this is nature that has done this, namely flash floods that have ripped through the desert. This is what they do in this soft rock because you know, it's a desert. It's not used to water. And so flash floods come through the desert every once in a while. And it has made this amazing place. And there are these, these beautiful pools and uh, just these amazing tunnels, a slot canyon in southern uh, air, uh, southern Utah, northern Arizona. Um, but man, w- when I was there, it's just one of the most beautiful places that I've ever seen. A dangerous place too, because when floods come, these places will get flooded out. Uh, I'll share the story another time. I've also discovered that in the subway in Zion National Park, there is quicksand. That's a story for another time. Um, but what's amazing to me is this beautiful place, this breathtaking place, so amazing, like no place I've ever been is a result of storms. If it weren't for storms, there would be no subway in Zion National Park. See, storms, they make some of the most intriguing, inspiring, beautiful terrain in our world. And storms do the same with people. Storms have formed some of the most interesting, intriguing, beautiful people in our world. And that's why for years now, um, when it comes to my kids, wanting them to be people, not just um, people of faith, but I want them to be people of character, biblical character, yes, but people who are interesting and intriguing, people who have a story. And so uh, years ago, um, God inspired me to, to stop praying so many prayers of protection over my kids and to start praying prayers of formation instead. And when you stop praying prayers of protection and you pray formation, Uh, Here's what you realize, that formation requires living through storms, which almost feels like the opposite thing you want to do as a parent. But I realize that if my kids are going to grow, if they're going to be all these things, and if they're going to be people of character, people of interest, people of empathy, people of compassion, people with really compelling stories, and they've got to live through storms. So instead of saying, God, protect them from all the storms, I pray that God would form them positively through all the storms. Because braving the storms gives you character. And then finally, 
uh, braving the storms helps you appreciate the sunny days. We talked about this last week, um, but I, I just want to revisit this really quickly. That too many sunny days in a row, yes, they will leave you soft, but once you've braved the storms, once you live through the storms, sunny days look different forever after, don't they? You develop a new appreciation for the favor of God, and they no longer make you soft. They actually can deepen you. They can, they can form you in a different kind of way. Once you have braved the storms, even sunny days look different. Now, I want you to take a look at this list for a moment. These are the things that come only when you're willing to brave the storms. But what we haven't talked about today is, is a really important question. What we haven't talked about today is how. How do you ever learn to brave the storms? If your natural tendency is to head to the bunker every time there's a dark cloud in the sky, how do you brave the storms? And, and by braving the storms, what I don't mean is those crazy storm chasers who run into the eye of a storm. That's a death wish. That's not braving the, braving the storms. That's something else going on with them. So how do you get to the place in life where you learn to brave the storms? That's what I want to close with. How do you do this? And the first way that you do this is what we just did. You get a clear picture of what comes only when you brave life storms. Uh, so, so maybe you, you look at that list that we just looked at over and over again, and the next time a storm comes and you say, oh my gosh, I, I can't do this, I don't want to do this, this is scary, this is frightening, you remember that list of things that only comes to you, that can only happen in your life when you brave life storms, and you say, okay, looks like I better stand my ground. And here's the thing about braving storms. There are no style points. No one's grading you on how gracefully you brave storms. It can be as ugly as, as it needs to be. The point is you just first got to stand. And if you stand your ground, if you learn to brave those storms, good things will begin to happen in your life. That's the first thing. The second thing is even more important. How do you learn to brave life storms? You trust in the one who always stands with you. See, we all know people who have lived through storms, but those storms have not made them better, right? We all know people who have lived through life storms and those storms have left them sad, broken, bitter, angry, Dangerous. I mean, some of, some of the world's most dangerous people are people who have lived through storms and those storms have ravaged them rather than leaving them better. What is the difference? How is it that storms for some people can you know, give you character and, and uh, help you develop reliance and reveal your vulnerabilities and spur growth and, and storms in other people's lives can just, just leave them worse? The difference, the key difference all comes down to whether or not you know, whether or not you trust in, whether or not you have the, have the access to lean on the one who always stands with you in every storm of life. See, when you understand, when you know that no matter how bad it is in life, that Jesus is standing with you, and that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. When you know and, and when you remember that Jesus had a critical moment in his life when he got to make a decision, he was put on a cross, 
And everyone around him was saying, if you're really the son of God, you, you would save yourself. You'd get yourself down from the cross. You'd fly away to heaven, back to safety. And in that moment, Jesus had a decision to make and he had a declaration to make. And in that moment, do, do you remember what he did? In the middle of that storm, do you remember? He chose to stand with you. And so he did not free himself from the cross. He did not fly away to heaven to the right hand of God. In, in that ugly, vile human moment where our hate and our jealousy and our violence was on full display, when, when our sin was on full display, when we were at our worst and the storm clouds were raging literally all around, what did Jesus do? He chose to stand with us. And that was forever a declaration for every storm after that no matter what is happening, no matter how threatening, no matter how ugly it is on the outside or how ugly it is in here, he will stand with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And that makes all the difference in the world to know that as you're standing in the storms that you're never alone, that Jesus is with you. See, there was actually one time in the life of Jesus when he was walking the earth that he deliberately led his disciples into a storm. And at first, they were confused and they were upset, they were terrified, they were angry with him. But by the end of it, Jesus had given them a glimpse, a vision that they would keep with them for the rest of their lives and it would make all the difference for them. Uh, today, as we close, I just wanna leave you with this account. On that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowds behind, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion but the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith in me? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? He's the one who always stands with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. No matter, how, no matter how bad the storm. We pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for giving us your son. And I pray that right now that you would seal in our hearts and our minds that critical moment, that decision moment, that declaration moment, 
when Jesus proved once and for all that he'll stand with us. When on the cross, he chose to stand with us. God, by that, give us courage. The kind of courage that knows that we've got someone powerful and good in our corner, no matter what is going on in the world around us. God, give us courage to not run and hide. Give us courage to stand our ground in the middle of storms, to brave the storms. And God, not only give us courage, but give us hope, give us confidence, help us believe your promises that as a result of standing, we will become better. Not for your sake, but for our sake and for the sake of the world around us, for the sake of of people who love us. God, give us the confidence, give us the belief that by braving the storms, we will become mature and complete, not lacking any good thing. I pray this in Jesus. Amen.